Welcome, welcome back to the same 24 hours podcast. I'm so glad that you are spending time with me again. I think I say that every time, but I really am. I really am glad. (laughs) Today, we have a great episode with Kelly McGonigal. She is the author of The Upside of Stress and her recent book, The Joy of Movement. The subtitle of that book is How Exercise Helps Us Find Happiness, Hope, Connection, and Courage. And I love this. Anyone who's been with me for more than a blink knows the importance of movement in my life and how it has saved me. And I know I've gotten a lot of heat over the years for kind of abandoning the sport of triathlon because I don't do it anymore. But it's it was the sport of triathlon that brought me back to life when I was really struggling in my early 30s. And it is the sport of weightlifting and Um, you know, bodybuilding training right now that has me so in my life. And the point of this episode is not to be like, hey, go exercise and punish yourself and lose weight. But the point of Kelly's work and her book and part of what my mission is, is for us to find what movement and what habits make us happy and allow us to step into the courage that our life is greater and can be greater than we dream. And so I really was honored that she chose to come on the show. And I hope you enjoy this episode with Kelly McGonigal. Hi, and welcome to the same 24 hours podcast. I'm Meredith Atwood, author of the book, The Year of No Nonsense. I'm a former attorney turned writer, speaker, and Ironman triathlete. Although right now, all I really like to do is lift weights. We all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. It's my goal to crack the code on a life of less nonsense so we can all make the most of our 24 hours. So let's get started. All right, here we go. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode and live broadcast of the same 24 hours podcast. I hope everyone is doing awesome today. I'm very excited about our guest today. Kelly McGonigal is here. How did I do? Perfect. Well, welcome. It's so great to have this opportunity to talk to you. I first came to know about you because of your TED Talk about stress. And then I had a friend also refer me to your book, The Upside of Stress. And I was like, oh yeah, I saw that TED Talk. So as a jumping off point, I want to start with stress. Um, I know you're probably tired of talking about that, but with this 2020, I mean, stress is major. So let's start there. What caused you to study stress and to start to really look into it and be like, what is this about? And why is there an upside? (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I'm a health psychologist. What I'm really interested in are the the basic core struggles, uh, what it means to be human. And so I tackle topics like stress, because when you ask people, you know, what's what's causing you pain and suffering in your life, people often say things like stress. And um, one of the things that is really important to me was finding ways to talk about stress that are empowering rather than the way we usually feel about stress, which is that stress is everything happening to me that I can't control. It's everything I have to deal with that I don't want. 
It's the life experiences I didn't choose. And now I'm, I'm stuck dealing with the consequences of it, um, which are, you know, they're, uh, those are available ways to talk about stress. But what I love is that when you look at the science, it gives us a much more, I think, practical and hopeful way of talking about stress, which is that stress is what arises in your brain and in your body when something that you care about is at stake. And so the reason that we as humans feel stress all the time is not necessarily because there's something wrong with you. It's not because you are inadequate to the challenges of your life. It's because some part of your, your mind and your body recognize this is a moment that matters. And mm-hmm. I believe there is something that you can do, something that I can do, right? Something that we can do in this moment that will support you, help you reach your goals, protect who and what you care about. So that's what stress is. And sometimes we feel it as you know, our heart racing. Sometimes we feel it uh, as anxiety, frustration. Um, sometimes we feel it as overwhelm and even a kind of paralysis. But whatever those symptoms are, whatever those emotions are, they're there to guide us and drive us to pay attention to what matters most and to, to marshal all of our resources. So stress can sometimes cause us to slow down and reflect. Stress can sometimes cause us to become activated and rise to the challenge. Stress will often make us want to be around others so that we don't have to face challenges alone. And so so the point of view that I come at stress with is, okay, so if we don't get to choose everything that's happening in our life, which I think 2020 is the year, if anyone (laughs) hadn't figured that out yet, somehow cruising through life, feeling in complete control of everything that that happened to them and for them, right? 2020 is the year that blows that up. Um, And I think we're all coming to terms with the fact that uh, we don't always get to choose the stress in our lives. And we need to find ways to use every human strength that we have, every capacity we have to find joy, meaning, hope, and connection, even when life is difficult. And stress actually allows us to do that when you start to reclaim stress as something that's, that's happening inside of you. Yeah. Yeah. And so as an internal, and so that, that, that's the big thing, right? Is some of us have a hard time connecting or understanding what is internal and what is ours versus the world happening to us. So what are some of the ways that you have found help us kind of stay internal and, and, and harness the stress for good versus like chicken little, the sky is falling. Like, are there tips or tricks that you tell tell people like, hey, here, start here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one thing is um, to start to pay attention to when you feel what you would call stress or, or I'm so stressed. And um, to, in those moments, ask yourself, who and what do I care about most? Because, you know, sometimes we get stressed about things that don't really matter. Um, but I think now more often, most of us are feeling stressed about things that really do matter, whether it's trying to figure out how to educate your kids or how to find a job or keep your job or protect your health and your loved ones. Most of the stress we're feeling now, it is connected to something that we really care about. So if you slow down and ask yourself, who and what do I care about most? That's going to help you start to find a, like a stress state and a point of view that will let you take action that is under your control and that reflects your values. And we know that like even when not everything is under your control, one of the things that helps people persevere during you know, chronic and even severe or traumatic stress is the sense that you can choose something in this moment that, that reflects your values, that uses your strengths, that there are choices you can make 
but even if you can't control or fix everything that are making a positive difference in your life or in the, the lives of others, um, that says something about who you want to be and the future that you want to create. So when you, when you are feeling that stress, you're feeling overwhelmed, you want to scream, you're whatever it is that sort of your symptom is, um, I tend to get the uh, desire to avoid. Like my mm. big, I know I'm stressed when I have this kind of resentment, like I don't want to do anything or I yeah. start to feel like almost like I can't do anything. I get, I shut down. Other people get overreactive, you know, other people get angry, other people, get, you know. So you, you start to recognize your own symptoms uh, and say, okay, so what matters most to me and what can I choose in this moment that reflects that or honors that and to actually get in a habit of choosing or doing something that isn't primarily about feeling less stressed. And that's where a lot of people uh, get into trouble. So, because stress does not always feel great. Stress most often doesn't feel great. There's some types of stress that can be really fun, but a lot of the times we don't love how we feel in those moments of stress. And oh, so that's such a things. good point. I feel like that deserves like emphasis, like to not try and get out, like get away from the feeling of stress because that's- yeah, because yeah. Think about like what, what do most people do? Or if you look, if you ask people, what are your worst habits? They're almost always rooted in, I can't handle what I'm feeling right now, or I don't want to have to be fully present for reality right now. And so right. maybe it's turning to alcohol or other substances or distracting yourself for a really unproductive length of time with some form of entertainment um, or spending money to get like a quick, you know, boost of something that feels good. Um, that, and, and I think that unfortunately, because we so often talk about stress as being toxic, as opposed to a state of mind and body that is preparing you to respond to life, that sometimes is unhealthy and sometimes actually is quite healthy. And you know, we can talk about how in your body, stress can actually be healthy, but it's, it's not always. But unfortunately, when we think that stress is always toxic, the minute you feel stress, you're gonna think my job is to be less stressed because otherwise I'm destroying my immune system. I'm killing brain cells. I'm you know, harming my heart health. And the goal is to not be stressed. And that's when people fall into these really counterproductive, self-destructive coping strategies of just avoidance, escape, numbing, dissociation. Um, and, I feel picked on. I feel oh, picked what's, on. What's your, what's your favorite not so oh. great coping strategy? I mean, all of them, like dissociation, like I'm not here. I don't choose to be here. This is not my problem. Um, I'm the queen of like, I did not choose this. I'm out of here. Like yeah. any situation, like I quit, like, I'm out. So you, can, you can see in that the roots of that are actually quite healthy. So we all need an escape coping strategy. And I think for most of us, what we have, we have stress strengths and we have stress habits that don't always serve us. And a lot of times those stress habits are related to strategies that did help us at one point in time. You know, I know right. that my tendency to try to fly under the radar to, uh, to withdraw, to not attract attention has, has served me in the past, but it makes me less brave now and less uh, sort of able to respond to life in ways that, that reflect the power that I actually have now. Right. And, you know, there may have been times when the I'm out of here was a really important coping strategy for right. you. And so uh, one of the things that I want people to also recognize is sometimes when we look at how we handle stress, we get very self-critical too. Like, uh, you know, I should be, first of all, I shouldn't be stressed. 
And if I am stressed, I should be doing it in a way that like looks like a superhero as opposed to, you know, eating everything that's in my cabinet. And then, oh, yeah, you know, I do that too. <laughs> that's the um, other way. All, every coping strategy we have is a strength in some circumstance. And, and we often just need to like broaden our repertoire. So, you know, I've been working for, for years and years. One of the coping strategies that I've been working on developing is being more transparent with other people about when I am stressed or when I'm struggling. You know, I used to be absolute master at um, not letting other people know that I'm that I, I'm struggling at all. I give you a perfect example. The very first book that I wrote was about chronic pain, and I can't tell you how many people in my life who'd known me for years didn't know that I lived with chronic pain. <laughs> it's like a defining feature of my life, my entire life. Wow, but I'm so right. good at like, here I am for you. Like, let me help you. Let me, that, that like people in my life would have no idea that I was experiencing daily pain. So I'm working on it. And that is something that stress can actually activate in us is the courage to reach out to others or the courage to let other people know that they aren't alone and what they're struggling with which then strengthens all of us who are kind of in the same situation. So yeah, what's one of your, your, your coping strengths? You told us some of your not so great habits. Um, coping strengths. I, I think when I do it well is connection, but that's, mm-hmm. it's like the inverse of, you know, so I like to disconnect. And so like when I'm strong and I cope well, I'm, I'm connecting. And so it's kind of like, I'm doing the opposite. Um, working out and which segues very nicely into um, your new book and and where I want to go next. Um, But one thing I want to highlight is you keep bringing up the word choice. And -hmm. I think that's so important because I think so many of us get in a stressful situation or start to feel stress. And we're like, well, I just have no choices here. I have no choice. I haven't, you know, this is how it is. This is where I'm stuck in the muck. And, and so I like the word choice. I like the active brain matter saying, oh, you have a choice here. You have a choice to, you know, harness the stress for good or to cope in a better way. And I did that about 10 years ago when I started working out. So I, as a um, teenager, I was an Olympic style weightlifter. And then I went to college and just became a drunk (laughs) and did not work out. And then I found movement um, in my early thirties when my kids were both two under two. And I was working as an attorney and it totally saved me. Like the choice to start to move my body changed a lot in my life. And so let's talk about, let's talk about that. But I want to just echo back something you said. So I actually have a painting when I walk into my house, the first thing I see is a painting and it, part of what the painting says is uh, the title is I choose to live. Mm. And I think that the, when I'm talking about, um, when, when you talk about choice, when I talk about choice, part of it is it's super practical, it's pragmatic, it's realistic, that we do not always get to choose the moment that we find ourselves in. And there's something, there is a human will to survive and to thrive and to contribute and to make meaning and to experience joy. And often that's the, the what you choose is you, you like you dig deep and you find that part of yourself who is going to say, yes, I'm still here. And I'm going to, I'm going to look in this moment for the thing I can do or choose that expresses that part of who you are. And it's, and sometimes it's about making a change in your life, like returning to an activity. It's, it's saying yes to something that you can do 
And sometimes it's just moments of what you choose to pay attention to, what you choose to remember, mm, right? What you, yeah. uh, that that can also be a choice that you make. But I think, I feel like that's the, when we're talking about choosing, again, it is such a fundamental human capacity and strength. And uh, in times that, that many people around the world right now find themselves in, maybe one of the, the most challenging periods of their lives, that it's okay to go to that kind of like existential strength which is what's required. This is not necessarily the moment for bubble baths and like aspects of self-care that give us just, a, you know, a brief break from life. I think right now many of us need coping strategies that are about digging deep and finding meaning or finding connection. It is the, it's not the like the stress less, it's the like, say yes to life. Yes. Oh, I love that. I love that. Um, in my book, like the first chapter, the the prologue, I talk about we're here to live. And if we can connect to that idea that this life is what it is and we are here to be in it. And I also talk about how self-care, like the free fruit, take a bubble bath is nonsense. So <laughs> I love that you touched on that too, because hey, I, I do, I love bath. Oh, me too. Yeah, as a, as like <laughs> a coping strategy for, you know, or life stress, right. it's, it's right. not going to be enough. Right, right. And there yeah. is there is that tendency of, of course, as marketing to, to say, oh, all you need is a vitamin or go take a bath um, to try and, you know, change your life. But yeah, I, I like how you said it's more of a choice to be in it, to live it. Um, so movement is one of the ways that I choose life, by the way. You yeah. know, when, when COVID struck, um, you know, immediately cut off from my family and friends. Uh, every All my classes were canceled. Um, everything that I do like out in the world that feels like it has some meaning was I was unable to do for months at a time. And the most, the, the smartest thing I did is I found a, a used heavy bag uh, on next door and I set up a heavy boxing bag in our driveway and I started boxing almost every day. And the, what I found that I needed to connect to was this like fighter spirit that literally like, you know, my, my trainer at the time was talking about some martial arts as being a fight to the death, which is not part of my natural personality. I like to right. like rescue animals. I don't like to fight to the death, <laughs> but the way she was describing it. And I was like, that's what I'm sensing in these workouts is some part of me that is like, I want to live. I am going to fight for this. And it's heart pounding and it's sweat dripping. And it is like feeling in every cell of my body. That, that level of effort was me sensing my will to live and my fighting spirit. And that allowed me to then focus every day on something I could choose to be of some use to others, to connect, even though I was very isolated. And so I feel like that's how I feel about movement is that movement, part of it's biochemical. I mean, if you do any form of physical activity that your body can safely do, you're going to get a benefit in terms of it improving your mood. Um, and protecting your, your mental health. That's a given. But then there's this extra layer of the movement that you choose, which can give you a sense of who you are and a sense of hope that is grounded in embodying that aspect of yourself that you want to cultivate, that you want to bring to the world. And so it may be, you know, it's going to be a different activity for different people at different times in their lives. I'm sure that, that you know, the way that you competed in these incredible endurance events told you something about who you were in a way that if you hadn't physically embodied it, it's really hard to know at that deep a level. Right. And for me, it was, I was 
stuck in this pattern. I mean, I was, I thought I was stuck in this pattern of Groundhog Day, which has a whole new meaning now, but back, you know, 10 years ago, it was just like the drudgery of litigation and, and being a mom of two kids and the commute and all of that. And I just, and, and feeling that my, I was disconnected from my body. Like, what is this body? <laughs> How did this happen to me? And so when I started doing triathlon, it was that connection to, oh, I'm still here. Just things around me are different and maybe not as I anticipated. And so as I continued in triathlon, it was moving my body in a way that was foreign to me because as a weightlifter, I never ran, I didn't swim, I didn't bike. And so that taught me that I could do anything. And that was the big gift. It was like, if I can do a triathlon, I can literally do anything because this is not my bag. And so I did that for eight years. And then recently I returned to like slamming some barbells and lifting weights. And, and that has a whole new meaning to me because it's kind of rooting me in who I was as a teenager when I didn't really know myself very well. So it's like cultivating that younger spirit of me that was really confused and lost <laughs> um, in, a, in a new way. And so like this morning, I, I went to CrossFit with my daughter and I was just down on myself. I was just in there and I was crabbing and I was like, Ugh. and I thought this is a, this is when you have to turn it around. Like you need to move your body and do it in a way that connects your mind to the movement. And so part of it was going outside to run. And then we come in and slam some barbells. And so as I was running, I was literally saying in my head, I love my body. I eat and train like a bodybuilder. I love my body. I eat and train like a bodybuilder. And then when I got in the gym, I was like, I lift like a lifter, which is duh. <laughs> but like, that's what I did for 30 minutes, you know? And as I left there, I was a different human than when I was grumbling on the platform. And it's just fascinating when you do that connection and you do that work, you're like, this makes so much sense. Why, <laughs> why don't I, I do this I more? I love you're describing movement as a, a practice of self-compassion for who you used to be as a way of uh, experiencing yourself as strong and powerful as a way of practicing that, like the way you want to be in the world, not only yes. in your training, and I, you know, I feel that way about all forms of movement. And that's so different from how people are often that, you know, they're initiated into exercise or movement as there's something wrong with what you look like and you need to fix that. Or, um, you know, this, this idea that like our body is a burden that we're, we're dragging around and we have to like form it into a certain acceptable, you know, state, whereas right when you find the forms of movement that are right for you, you start to experience your body as a vehicle for strength, mastery, challenge, joy, pleasure. It is, you, you really start to feel your body as a vehicle, as opposed to this thing that like, as you were saying, like, I, do I even need one of these things? Like, <laughs> um, and that's such a, and it, yeah. it can be true across your lifespan as well. So in the book, one of the things I focus on a lot is uh, people who have real challenges to living in their bodies, either because they have something like Parkinson's disease, which makes movement so difficult and expression and emotional connection more challenging, whether it's people who recently experienced a stroke or uh, paralysis and are now learning to live in a body that doesn't work the way it used to, um, people who are living with severe mental health challenges, people who are grieving, which, you know, people, most people don't understand things like depression and grief. 
they literally make it more difficult to move. And they, they put you in a physical state that, you know, for, for people like me or like you who have found meaning and joy and, and purpose through movement, and then you find yourself dealing with depression or grief, it's like your brain is betraying you, your body's betraying you because it's so much more difficult to get started, to get that, that exercise high, to, to keep going. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I focus on people who are having those experiences because I think sometimes people will, will believe it's not for them. Like we're only talking about natural athletes, people in young bodies, able bodies, small bodies, whatever. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I've learned from the research in my own direct experience is that actually often it's when we experience the biggest challenges to movement that people are best able to find the form of movement that is that it is the thing their soul needs and then their body becomes a vehicle for re-experiencing joy. So like the, um, I visited a dance class for people with Parkinson's disease where so many people were reconnecting to their love of music and dance. And it was just, you know, that's so different than when you force yourself to, you know, walk on a treadmill and the whole time you're saying right. like, I need this and how many calories have I burned? Right. Right. Yeah. And, and so much of us come to, like you mentioned, come to exercise as a form of punishment. And, and so to establish a new practice and to, to even go do a workout that is, has nothing to do with the calories. Like for me, I used to think yoga is a waste of time. I burn no calories here. And, and, you know, if you can do something just for the hell of it, like, Hey, that might be fun. You know, that is, so many of us grown adults don't even like do that. We don't even think to do it. It is. And it, what's so interesting is we do lots of things because of how the experience itself makes us feel, but we often forget to pay attention to movement as one of those options because we're used to a story about how it doesn't count if you don't hate it, or it has to like come in a certain package when actually like, so one of the best things you can do is start to pay attention to if you move in different ways, like you go for a walk outdoors, even if it's cold, you know, I've, I've just been talking to some folks lately about how exercising outdoors in winter weather can be particularly effective for improving your mood and improving your, your resilience to stress. I mean, even sometimes things we think aren't going to be pleasurable, when you pay attention to the direct experience, often what you'll find is either the experience itself is is wonderful and rewarding. I feel that way when I exercise to music. Music, moving my body to music is an inherent good. It could, you know, you could tell me that it actually is doing actual harm to me and I'd still believe that if I would choose <laughs> it because of how it fills me with hope and joy. Right. Um, and then there, there are other forms of movement where the experience itself is like rough. You're at your edge, you're tolerating discomfort, you haven't mastered it yet. So you're having some experiences of failure or uncertainty. And yet when you're done with it, the way you feel about yourself and the way you feel about what you're capable of sets you up to be this version of yourself in every other role and every other relationship that makes that, whatever that workout was or that activity was, it makes it an inherent good because of, of what it, what it uh, opens up for you. And when people start to pay attention to that, again, you make different, you can make different choices about movement and it becomes so much more clear why you might prioritize it. 
Yeah. And you, you mentioned going outside in the cold. I'm originally from Georgia and we now live in Massachusetts. And oh, yeah. um, <laughs> this past winter when the snow would fall, I would just go outside and shovel it. Everyone's like, oh, we the snow. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And you know, I'm just shoveling snow and I'm sweating and I'm like, this is the best thing ever. But it's it wasn't because I was out and they do burn calories. You do burn calories shoveling snow. But that wasn't what I was thinking. I was like, this is the greatest experience. And, and you know, all my Northern friends are like, what is wrong with you? But it is that newness. And it's like, I do know how to shovel snow. This is new. And it's, it's that getting outside of your head. I think it's just so much of the stress and the worries we have is just crap swimming around. And when you move and you do something really hard or new, you're not thinking, you're just kind of like moving. I mean, this is actually... <laughs> So what you're describing is actually true. There, there are brain imaging studies and EEG studies that look at what happens in people's brains when they do different forms of movement. And uh, if you are somebody who suffers with stuff in your head, the anxieties, the worries, self-criticism, that like you just like being in your head is not a fun place to be, which is a lot of people. <laughs> um, there's almost nothing that you can do that as quickly quiets that down and gives you a sense of peace as either movement that challenges you, but is safe. You know, I mean, I'm not, you know, don't hurt yourself, but what you can do, something that requires you to focus or um, exercise outdoors or exercise to music. So you sort of like figure out which one is the right fit for you. For me, it's, it's usually the music, but you know, studies show it changes what's happening in, in your brain. It puts you in a brain state that looks like what happens in meditators who've trained for tens of thousands of years to be able to calm their minds. And people can spontaneously experience it through moving to music, moving in a way that requires that kind of focused uh, effort or moving outdoors in nature. And it's, it's a tremendous relief. Um, and like, it's a gift to yourself. Yes. Yes. Well, Kelly, tell everyone where they can get your books and where they can follow you. Yeah. Any, hey, anywhere you want to buy your books. Uh, <laughs> Audio too. I know lots of people love audio and I recorded my own um, audio books. So you can decide if, how much you like listening to this for the last half hour. Um, yeah. And then I'm, I'm Kelly at kellymcdonagall.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for this. Everyone go buy her book as an author. I have to say, go buy the book. Authors need book. That's all need, need people to buy their books. That's our currency. <laughs> So thank you so much for this. Thank you for all your work. And um, I look forward to continuing to follow you. Great. Thanks. Take care. All right. Bye, everyone. Thank you for joining me on this episode of The Same 24 Hours. Remember to rate, review, and share this podcast. It really matters. I appreciate it. See you next time.